hello and welcome to the Rebel Flow podcast. I'm your host, Flo, and I'm excited to introduce my guest and friend from my college days. He's known for films such as Grape Soda, Guest of Honor, Snowbirds, My Brother Jordan. He's a writer, director, producer, actor, baller, shot caller, Justin Robinson. <laughs> welcome. I wanted to have you on because this podcast really focuses on like inspiring the creative and you are like the epitome of all things creative across the board, but really specifically within like media, film, writing, comedy, all of those things. And so I just feel like you have a lot of knowledge and cool stories and stuff to share with the listeners. But yeah, just a little background. Me and Justin went to college together. I got to know Justin through some friends and I got to be in some of your videos, which I definitely reminisced and went through YouTube. Also forgot how hilarious Chris Birch is. I watched the <laughs> oh, halftime. Yes. Oh, oh yes. my gosh. Yeah. Was, Still I've, funny. Still yeah. funny. Still in the wrong career. What you is know, he doing? Doing the Lord's work. He's a, he's a student pastor, but I'm always like, you know, if you ever retire that, uh, the Bible, you know, you got an acting career ahead of you. But no, yeah, he's he's one of those people. That's how I met him was I saw him in someone else's video. And it was a video for some church thing that, that had no basis of Christianity. It was just like a silly comedic video. And I remember my friend showing him, I went, who is that? Like, one, I need to know him. Two, I would love to work with him. And that's kind of how we became friends. But I get to see him every time I come back to Greenville for Christmas or I was in his wedding a couple years ago. But yeah, he's... He's one of the funniest people I know. Dude, he was cracking me up. And I feel like you're always around. You just always have gold people around you. Like you always have the funniest, like Jamie Costa, somehow yes. Bradford. We were talking about him earlier. Like you're just around these people. How do you how do you find these people? Man, you bring up Jamie. He actually called me the other week randomly. It was super late. He's in California time, Pacific. I'm central. And it was like 1130 my time, random call. And he'll send me like, He'll leave me random voice messages. I'll just get random, random, like him messing around, testing out a character or, or a character we kind of talked about early on together where I had this like alcoholic father who was absent and uh, we just called him dad. So he's always calling me, asking me for money or if he can, <laughs> oh if, he, if he has, if I have a place uh, for him to stay. But yeah, I got to catch up with him and man, he was someone I met just in the cafeteria at North Greenville. And I had made this really cheesy World War II foxhole short film my freshman year and mr stevens a guy a professor that worked there had this like tv station for the college and and he apparently put it on and it was like once a day or twice a day i don't know how many times it was on but people on campus saw it and i was a commuter and jamie happened to see it and i was like hey man i think i want to get into acting and this is before i knew he could do impressions of practically every celebrity and actor in the world but he just had this giddiness, this like this this kind of uh, twinkle in his eye, and we became fast friends. And then opened the can of worms of his comedic skills that led to his dramatic acting skills, and it was kind of a match made in heaven. But yeah, Jamie is one of the funniest, most talented people I've ever met, and that was just sheer luck. But it's funny because it's like even if you make something or you write something or you create some sort of thing that whether you're proud of it or not, whether it met your your standard or not somebody will see it and it usually is a connecting piece to something to something the same way I met Chris Birch was I saw something he was in even though he wasn't an actor so it's just just this weird connection where you kind of have a magnetic draw sometimes for me it's usually to the crazy people like <laughs> like 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 the addicts screaming outside of a gas station kind of connect with me but occasionally it's a really funny talented creative 
actor person that can leave you a random voice memo a few times a year that 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 like puts you on your knees. Yeah, a lot of talent came out of our little school. I like mean, even you, you were Jane. a funny funny person. <laughs> well, thank like, you. <laughs> people who make me laugh are my favorite people in the world, and and my experience at North Greenville was kind of strange. I kind of felt like a zoo animal in a way, where it's like people kind of come and look at you and maybe take a picture or talk about you like you can't understand the human language that they're speaking either that or they want something from you and you were someone that I never felt like wanted something from me you were always like kind of a, a bright little stop in my day whether it was it was usually at the calf sort of thing the little handshake thing that I was like oh my god I remember you did the uh you you wanted to pound it with me and then you high fighter you know you, you volleyballed oh. it <laughs> And yeah, then yeah, yeah. You did another one where I went to pound it the next time and you grabbed my fist like a stick shift and you're like, <laughs> and I was like, I was like a little kid with like a funny teacher, like, oh, that's my favorite teacher right there. <laughs> They're funny. So I, I really appreciate that because the memories of, of those days, which are, you know, a decade ago, sometimes aren't the greatest, but I'm like, Lauren was one of those bright spots that was very funny and never wanted anything from me. And that's a really powerful thing to have a skill I would say so I appreciate that and first of all I'm surprised that I could even have friends acting like that with like random but well to, to tell the story of how cool you were you were cool enough to put on a fake mustache and walk <laughs> down a hallway with two other ladies also cool enough to wear a really gnarly fake mustache for a video in front of all of your fellow students which I think it was like 70 you know we filled that place up so if there's any doubt of Lauren Floro's flow, go back to that's. I think that video is private now, but I could definitely pull it out of retirement. But that is like, if you're willing to do that, you got major points with me. I got to be honest. I had like the mascot complex. Like I put that stash on. I was someone else entirely. I found my confidence. I hey, get mustaches. That was so it. good. I love doing yeah. like, I think it was just everything felt fun. Like you always had such mm. fun ideas and that's probably where you got like the zoo effect because people were just like, who, how is he coming up with all of this crazy, like charismatic, fun stuff? And it kind of became a spectacle, but like, that's what I enjoyed. Just, you were also very free flow, just kind of like you had an instinct and you saw through and it was gold. Like it was like 10 out of 10 every time. And that was always so fun. And so even from, from then until now, 10 years or plus have passed. Yeah. And you're still doing it. You're still chasing that dream. You're still, I mean, succeeding in it and creating passion projects, some hilarious, some like really heartfelt drama. I got to watch, I watched Grape Soda last night and I was crying and I was not expecting. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what the film was about, but at the end I was, I had to sit there for a minute and just process. It was really well done. So what was the process of you being in college, making videos with your friends to now making these films and finding success? Good question. Well, thanks for thanks for watching it. Well, the precursor to that was growing up in a very conservative, sheltered Christian home. My dad was a Baptist pastor, Southern Baptist, which is pretty specific. You know, dancing is a sin, you know, drinking and all those, those are those are like uh, huge caveats in my life. And movies was something I wasn't allowed to really experience. So it had to be G-rated, according to my mom, which limited us to like owning less than probably 10 movies. And, and four of those VHS tapes were like the Barons Dan Bears and the pig movies, Gordy and Babe. Oh, yeah. Those were ones we saw way too much. 
So our cinematic experiences were really limited. Like literature wasn't a part of our life. Music wasn't really a part of our life other than like the Gaither vocal band. So I was pretty unstimulated with stories and didn't know that I kind of had that itch and was a really terrible reader. Like reading comprehension was my probably worst subject, even though I was homeschooled. So most of my subjects I was pretty bad at. But I didn't know that I had an itch for storytelling, filmmaking, whatever, because I didn't even know it really existed in a job form. And anytime I ever got to see a movie at someone's house or at a sleepover at their birthday party, I was transfixed, but I didn't really know. So my only goal was to play college basketball. That was the dream. That was the mindset, which was a pretty polarizing mindset, especially that early on. But I had an older brother. I'm the youngest of four brothers, and he passed away 11 days before my 18th birthday. And like two months before my last senior season of basketball. And when he died, basketball kind of died. And he was an athlete. He played for North Greenville, the the college I ended up going to later where I met you. But it was this kind of cosmic kidnapping of this dream and this goal of basketball. But when Jordan died, uh, that, that dream died. And I finished out that year. Didn't really touch a basketball for a long time. And through the loneliness of now being basically truly a Lone Ranger, somehow film, writing, short films, directing, filled the place of basketball in a way. Like the same drive I had to be the first one on the court, last one on the court, metaphorically, kind of transitioned pretty seamlessly to, to filmmaking and had to teach myself how to write. I had no clue, so I was just on my computer Googling, YouTube, Vimeo, anything, anyone that could teach me or a way I had to learn. So when I got to North Greenville, that was all I really wanted to do was make some sort of films. Uh, So in class, I was not only a terrible student, I spent most of my time not taking notes and I would be scribbling, you know, a sketch idea or something like that. So I was pretty addicted. So through college, you know, through meeting some people who are willing to either put on a mustache or come and help me, even if they didn't have like a dire interest to make movies one day, it was really beneficial for me to try and see. Although I had no aesthetic ideas, I had I was super green in pretty much every way, but I had a pretty big appetite to do it, to try it. So when I went to North Greenville, that's where I just started. I, I want to be a director. I want to be a filmmaker. And so trial and error of just making stuff with friends and making stuff in people's backyards and making stuff in class or, hey, I don't, could I not write a paper? Could I just make a video? You know, like I remember you did one where it was something like Spanish class or oh, something you did yeah. like, and I was like, <laughs> yes, yes, my kind of people, you know, <laughs> like it's something different for the teacher, obviously. And as long as you're doing your work. So I, pre- I got out of a few papers and stuff like that just to do something I felt that I could do a better job of and it wouldn't dent my mental state. So I just got pretty heavily invested into then, you know, I had to start watching movies. So people are like, have you seen Harry Potter? Have you seen Star Wars? I'm like, bro, I was homeschooled in a Baptist home. No, I haven't seen The Godfather. No, I haven't seen Star Wars. So I was behind on on pretty much all pop culture, popcorn movies outside of a few so even as a filmmaker, I'm, I'm still way behind on kind of seeing what the general public grew up with. But, but yeah, so from North Greenville went on to keep doing that, just making trial and error on my own. I would, I would freelance and do these jobs and spend all of my money to make a thing like grape soda. And that was a connection that I think the, the biggest reason it worked was because of my actor, Mark. 
which he kind of shouldered the whole thing. And he was someone I met through seeing something he was in years prior. That was kind of how it started. And Grape Soda was kind of a big watershed moment because it was the first time I only wrote and I only directed instead of because of whatever reason having to shoot it, having to kind of be in it or having to do this and this and this. It was kind of the first time where I felt like I got to do it for real on a very small scale. And I remember the first morning going, oh, yeah, I could like this. This feels right. I feel like these shoes fit, you know. You tried it on in the dressing room, you're like, yeah, I'm definitely walking out with this. And that's a really rare occurrence for me because I don't feel like I fit and I don't feel like things fit on and around me in many, many, many ways. But that was a big moment for me to go, okay, yeah, which was something I had really never experienced in life. The only person I felt like I fit with was my brother who was dead. So then you have this fish out of water element that's lifelong get much worse when the only person you're not misunderstood by is literally not here so it's a it's it was like oh wow well at least like I felt a little bit of like the sense of that Jordan gave me in a filmmaking sense which was something I wasn't even hunting for but you kind of like you felt that you know Jordan wasn't as as bright and verbal as like Steve Irwin but I think like all the animals of the world the way Steve Irwin like made animals feel I can't mm-hmm. speak for the crocodiles, maybe the <laughs> ones that are maybe more the apex predators, but like a little gecko or something where he's like, oh, you know, it's so beautiful. Like, I feel like Jordan had that that effect on people instead of, you know, something more more violent. So Jordan had the kind of the Steve Irwin effect without without maybe being as loud and and having the, the long mullet. But that was something that through through the emotional aspect of my life being on set, I kind of had that sense, which which made me feel really safe. Yeah, it felt like home. And it's yeah. it's beautiful that you were able to have that experience with your brother too. And then you found this, which felt like a piece of him that you got to still carry his legacy through and still feel like a bonding moment, even from a distance, which yeah. is so beautiful. And to speak to the point about how you didn't really have movies and things growing up, I think that's actually an X factor. Like, I think that's mm. a a really good like you weren't influenced too much to where you're making carbon copies of everything like you get to be unique because you know when you're younger that's when your personality and your skills are developing and yours were untouched like you have your genuine perspective and now you're starting to filter it through with what you're learning but you still it's so ingrained in you with what you've grown up with being able to navigate things on your own so you get to have that X factor of being very unique with your perspective, your approach, and you're building your skill set. So it is an X factor and might feel mm. like you're behind, but I feel like actually you're not with what you carry, with what you bring. It's needed. You see a lot of the same thing over and over again, but not with you. Mm. That's a really beautiful perspective. I, I had all the times I've shared anything similar, I have not heard that. So that's actually really interesting. Because I do, a lot of that has informed my writing, just the characters I met, you know, at a small town potluck at a church on Sunday, you get to meet some pretty interesting characters. But yeah, that's, that is a beautiful perspective. Yeah. And a lot of your films have been getting traction, like Grape Soda was, it won a few awards, right? Yeah, the biggest thing, it was a, there's a website called Vimeo, which is kind of like YouTube for filmmakers. I don't think it's it's in its heyday as it was anymore, but they did a thing called Staff Pick. So like their own staff would go. It would give you the laurel, the stamp, and then it would be featured on the front page. And somehow Grape Soda got that. And that kind of 
immediately just put it on the screen of, of all these filmmakers. It wasn't just the general public necessarily. It's more of like creatives and artists and professionals in the industry that kind of had a hand in Vimeo. So yeah, it kind of blew up on there. And then there was a website, a YouTube channel called Amuleto that posts shorts and they have millions of subscribers. So they asked to share a few of my films on there and Grape Soto went on there. And it's more international. Like there's people from all over the world watching it. So it's not just a, an Americanized audience. So that was really cool to kind of see it reach. But yeah, Grape Soto was, was a really cool thing to, to see kind of go be seen. And, and it's also not a flashy, not a blockbuster film. It's, it's not a horror movie. It's, it's kind of the last thing you would think that would kind of sink into the, the bloodstream of like the general public because it's, it's kind of tragic and sad and slow and, you know, a balding bearded guy at the center and people are like, yeah, I'm game for that. You know, what, it's real. What is soda? Yeah, it was, that was really cool. That was encouraging to see. That's why when I see like a trailer for a movie, that's kind of an off color, off the beaten path concept. Even if the movie doesn't turn out or make whatever money they, they, it needs to make to succeed, I get so excited to go, I'm just so glad somebody said yes to that concept because people like me, I feel like before I show you a movie, I'm like, hey, so just want to like apologize. <laughs> just want to like, I, you take it for what you will, but like, I'm sorry a little bit, you know, like it's it's uh, it's going to make you feel kind of weird probably. And you probably won't expect it. Not in like an M. Night Shyamalan sense of like twists and turns, but like it's it's going to be bizarre. <laughs> be open to it. You know, so that's kind of a, a funny aspect of my life. No, I think it's really cool because you, at least from my perspective, like I knew you as just hilarious and really good at what you were working on at the time. And to see films where I just connect like so at an emotional level like, I know you can do funny. I know you're great at being creative and all that stuff. But then seeing that like other side of the coin of deep emotional connection with two characters I'd never met before and their daughter. From the get-go, you're just kind of like drawn in. It's not slow. It's like wooing. You're being wooed into the story. And then you really kind of go on the journey with him. And at the end, you really discover like, this is the root of both of their pain. Like at the beginning, you think one of them's the enemy. But at the end, you're like, oh my gosh, they're human. They're not an enemy. They're both human. And so it was really beautiful to kind of like watch that journey. I just felt my face getting like closer and closer to the screen. You know, it drew it drew me in. So, I mean, it makes complete uh, sense to me that it was successful. I don't know as much about the film industry as you do, but it seems to me like you need a lot of flash, a lot of bang, a lot of attention grabbing, like shock. And sometimes that's cool, but like to have a real connection to have a real um, emotional response, it's all about the wooing and like drawing them in and keeping them for the whole story. Like it was different, but it was great. I mean, I, I haven't gotten a chance to watch Guests of Honor Snowbirds, but I have seen my brother, Jordan. And I texted you, what was it, th two or three years ago after me and my husband yeah. watched it. And we were both like just sat <laughs> for a moment. Like there were parts where we were crying, where we were laughing, where we felt like we were right in it with you going on that journey. It was beautiful. And I think it was really part of the beauty was you were laughing and you were crying and you like you felt so involved. And that's all you can really ask. I, I think when you create something that's so vulnerable like that for people to receive it, it's just so well received and it got a lot of notoriety. Like I saw people who I didn't know knew of you posting and I'm like, how did they find out about this guy I went to college with? Like yeah. you got a lot of really great feedback about it what was that process because it was an eight-year process right creating that yeah. it started my senior year 
which again, I was super green and as a filmmaker, but I, I had that burning desire. 2012, so the start of the senior year, was four years after he had died. We were in a new state, and the new state we moved to, which was South Carolina, Jordan got sick pretty much right away. So like the people who knew him there only kind of knew him as like the guy with cancer, and they only knew me as the guy who was the brother of the guy with cancer, and then later the, the brother of the guy who died. So I think that lent, lent itself to feel more like an animal in a cage because people would act like they don't know you or just not know what to say. I mean, death is a weird thing for people to talk about in any aspect of life, but especially the Christian world because they just you feel like you have to throw a Bible verse at them or like give them some sort of Christian casserole where you're like, hey, maybe maybe like maybe just let me breathe for a sec and we don't have to fix everything because we can't. That's the whole purpose of of that world is you can't. And so I think it was an interesting aspect of being a major fish out of water and feeling like all these people that didn't get to know him, because when someone's sick, I mean, there's such a veil in between, and especially at how sick he was. And I think people, the general, the general public was like, oh, he has cancer. Like he might be bald from chemotherapy, but like, he's going to look like an angel and like, oh no, you look so good without your hair. And most of the time that's not true. Like, he was dying. He looked like he was dying. And especially in months leading up to his death, like, if anyone ever came to the hospital, even, like, some old guy who didn't even know his name from my dad's church showed up, like, when they came through the door, it would be, like, a shock because when you could smell death. Like, his leg was so filled with tumors. It, it was very unexpected for people. And so one of the aspects of me wanting to make that was for myself going, I want to make sure that what I'm remembering was not falsified by my own opinion, my own perspective. But deep down, I know this is the truth. I know I got really lucky to have Jordan as a brother because he tethered me to a lot of things that I had no business being tethered to. You know, I did not fit into that place and I still didn't fit into that place or that dynamic. But because of Jordan, it softened the fall of me. And so I wanted to make it for myself. I wanted to write my own history book so that when I'm older or when I can't remember as well, I can go back and go, this is the truth. These were the glory days. This, the way I feel, the way I think is because of this. I feel so heavy because he with me was so light. I feel so alone because I felt so unalone with him. Also, he was just one of those people that didn't ever get the spotlight. He didn't catch people's eye, so to speak, in like a center of the tension or or just the loud personality. He was just the quiet person, the person at the table that would kind of let everybody go first. Even if that wasn't intentional, he was just kind of took a back seat. And I kind of, I just wanted to put a spotlight on him and go like, this is like so much of what I'm not and can't be and I'm not supposed to be. But I'm so grateful people like this exist because people like me need people like that so there was a really a good yin and yang to us but there was so much beauty in that like naivete he had and innocence because for me I, the veil of innocence was torn for me like way too early so i i was able to see both sides of the fence i wanted to make something that i could remember and enjoy and know that i was my feelings were truthful and then i also wanted to make something for all the people that aren't filmmakers aren't creatives that could relive and also go man I don't want to compare him to a sandwich, but it's like that one sandwich you had in your life where you're like, I think that might have been the best sandwich I've ever had in my life. And every time you eat a sandwich, from then on out, you think about it. 
even if it had the most basic, like simple ingredients, he was the best sandwich you kind of ever had. And I wanted people to be able to remember that. So I started in 2012, which was my senior year. So I just started shooting interviews. Didn't know what I was going to do. Years went by. Still didn't know what I was going to do. And then years went by. I was afraid people were going to die. People were going to forget. You know, it had already been four years. It had already been five years. It had already been six years. And then I finally realized I needed to kind of put myself in it to, get to be a, essentially a tour guide because I knew him better than anyone else. But even though I didn't make the film for that reason, so I just thought I needed to like be there and go, this is, I can't introduce you to him because he's not here, but I do have some evidence. I have a lot of evidence. And so that's where it was kind of birthed. And then when I finally finished it, of course, COVID pandemic, what do I do now? You know, we're, we're going for a walk at a park and a cop tells you you can't be outside. So you're like, oh, this is like, this is like post-apocalyptic zombie movie stuff. So everyone else that kind of would have had a hand on what do you do with this film? Where do you take it? Where do you try to sell it? We're all kind of running around with their heads cut off because all of their own projects, all their own film festivals and streaming sources were like, oh, wow, what do we do? We need more content because now we don't have content coming in. The film industry shut down. So it was a very hectic, weird kind of time to go, oh, because for me, I never had a dream of trying to sell it or make money off. I was just like, hey, where do I put this where it can play? And then that led me down the road of all these no's and people saying, well, you should probably cut it. You know, like I would maybe take this out. I was like, oh. I'm not interested in that. It's either you take it or you don't. And I know that's that's very like rookie of me and however you want to perceive it. But like, that's not what I'm asking. I'm just going, would you like to platform this? And when people had those kind of things are like, hey, you should maybe take out this character, whatever. It was, it was a hard pass. So I ended up just putting it on YouTube and Vimeo for free. So people were home because it was the pandemic. People were hungry to watch content because they were locked in their houses. And I think also people were scared of what was happening in the world and also open to the idea of the brevity of life and actually embracing like oh yeah we all do die because this is something we know but a lot of people are too afraid to think about it especially the ones who've never experienced it up close so I think there was like a multifaceted aspect of the pandemic that kept people imprisoned and willing to watch it and also just the, the amount of people that knew I was making it, that knew Jordan, that would have liked to see it, I think helped kind of push it that way. But yeah, then it just took a life of its own that was very unexpected and, and was its own thing of just being watched by tons and tons of people and finding, it, finding its way on YouTube and becoming viral on TikTok. But yeah, it ended up getting 15 million views before YouTube uh, age restricted it. I don't know why, because there's only one cuss word and there's only like one picture of a medical procedure that could be off-putting for people, like, but there's not heavy content. I don't know how uh, or why if someone reported it. My YouTube channel, it wasn't monetized, so there was no ads. There was, you could just click it, watch the whole thing, and be done. There was nothing. But, uh, but, but up to then, I don't know, four, three months, it, it blew up, and then it kind of got bottlenecked for that reason. I think it was, there was a lot going into that time, like you said, they're seeing the craziest news stories come up. Everyone is feeling super vulnerable and everywhere you look, it seems like there's loss. And because we were all so isolated in our homes, mm -hmm. the relatability of the isolation that you felt and what the story of your brother going through that process of pain and not hiding, not being like, he's in heaven, he's got his wings, you know, like you were real, like you were crying, you were it was hard, <laughs> like it wasn't easy. And I feel like it was very easy to connect with the authenticity of, okay, yes, it is painful. I can sit in this pain. I need to sit in this pain actually. Otherwise it's just gonna get worse and worse. The timing 
not that I would wish COVID timing on anybody, but the timing was really, people had a moment to sit with it and they go, okay, he sat in his pain. I can, it's okay for me to sit in my pain. Death is such a taboo topic because it's unknown. A lot of stuff, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of unanswered questions, especially when you add like beliefs and things to it. So to see someone go through it and you're still here and you can still tell the story and you can still see the joy of what was and bring the joy into the now, like people needed that. So I think the timing was just spot on. I really appreciate that you can see something so beautiful that you want to put a microscope to it and everyone needs to see this. Like you don't understand, like I need you to see how good this person is, like how how beautiful this story is. No matter if it's tragic or not, there is beauty there. And I think you do a really excellent job of not hiding behind everything's good, sweep it under the rug, but like showing things for what it is and being completely real with it. And it's like, take it or leave it. Like you were so willing to just walk away because that was your story. Only like that was your experience. No, no one can tell you to like, okay, cut out those years. No, like that would, that would take away from the experience, but. It's just, it's not typical. I know, especially people that like they, they want a bow and as a filmmaker and as a person, I'm the, I'm the wrong casting choice for that. To be like, if that's what you're wanting, yeah, I can, I can direct you to the Hallmark Channel. But I, I, I'm, I'm not that way, and the life I've experienced is not that way. So, and you grow up, you have to be certain things for other people, or, or, or in the environments you live in. And it was one of the few times I feel like I could be somewhat honest with myself publicly, and because it is what it is, and I can't make it what it is not. And a lot of people wanted it to be something it wasn't and that would be untruthful the truth is something that's very important in my life and i find being dishonest especially in the format of filmmaking very dangerous very dangerous and very uninteresting to me so whenever i've seen something or i've read something you know when that sentence is lived and i can appreciate that because you've gotten to see both sides of the fence you know so so that was an aspect of the filmmaking of of the film because initially i wanted to write a book because I just had all these stories and I thought that was the lane, but I happened to have all this video and granted it was before, before iPhones. So like a lot of it wasn't HD high def of quality of any means. I mean, it was like VHS and, you know, really low quality mini DV stuff from the nineties and early two thousands. But that was like, this is all I have. And this is the best shot. I could give you the portrait of him and say this, someone worth remembering. This is someone really beautiful. And, and to all the people who feel super normal, who feel like they don't have a lot to offer because they're not the outspoken, the exuberant, the like the loudest, you know, the reality stars of the world where they're just in the background and the background and the background doing what they consider mundane. I'm like, Jordan Jordan was that. He was ordinary, but in my life, extraordinary. And I didn't wait till after death to say that. He knew that. But the film was was to kind of echo that. To go, it's okay to be ordinary, because I had the most ordinary brother. But in that, he found ways to do something and give me something personally, not even, I would say, selfishly, that I had never experienced. Yeah, it was very powerful to, to be his little brother. So even for almost 18 years, it was, I, I honestly don't know who I would be or what I would be doing without those years under his wings and on top of him, so to speak. I think the ordinary is actually the extraordinary, and we've got it so flipped. 
what grabs our attention, we think that's it. That's got to be the thing because everyone's looking at it, but it's the consistent moments. It's the showing up. Mm. You don't get any big success without those moments. Like people only see those big flashy things, but they don't see like the truth behind it. And so it almost feels like we've been lied to of, of the process, but I'm glad that there's people like you showing the true process, showing actual excellence of this, this is where the focus needs to be. Like, this is the magic. This is what changes lives. This is what should really be highlighted. And so, yeah, I think you've done that really well in, in all of your films. I will say that's another astute, astute observation, Lauren, that we have it flipped on the ordinary, extraordinary front. And I don't want to like tail away from this topic. The thing is, though, you feel so alone in it, but you know, you probably got so many messages from people who 100% would could relate something so similar. Yeah. And because you told a story, maybe you said things they didn't have language for, like they have these feelings mm-hmm. they don't know how to express, but they were able to express it through what you created. So yeah. impactful, so powerful. It's really like storytelling, like your gift of doing that. It's probably one of the most powerful things. Like art changes the culture, right? Yeah. It's not a secondary thing. It's like 100% essential. Yeah, you do it really well. Do you have... um like a favorite aspect of it? Do you prefer directing versus acting versus writing? Like what's your Hmm. favorite? Writing is first, which again is a funny character arc because I never grew up writing, journaling, even reading. And reading is a muscle I have to really stretch on my own. But yeah, writing, because mainly you can, for me, when I wanted to make stuff in college, I was like, well, you kind of have to create your own job. Even though you're not making money, you have to write something to make something. And I wouldn't even have called myself a writer or aspired to that, but you just kind of had to write a blueprint to go build the house. So it became a, a thing that I fell in love with very rapidly, like hard, very hard. So, but yeah, writing, I mean, because film, making a film, there's so much that goes into it, even if it's a short, even if it's grape soda. I mean, you have to have 30 plus people or whatever the, the amount of cast and crews schedule a line in one location. And then you have to rely on the, um, the, the emotional tantrums of the weather. And so many things can go wrong. Murphy's Law is a big part of filmmaking. So with writing, I can do it anywhere. And there's no rules. I can write the scene that happens in the day or the night. The script can be big budget or no money spent. So there's, there's a lot of beautiful aspects of that. But I, I think that's, that's become the, the flagship for me mentally is going, building up a library of work that I can one day hopefully build a career out of but also just have so many stories come out from the well that that other people can come and tell those stories as well because making one film, especially in a feature-length sense, can take years. So there's just not a time and a life, I feel like, to tell the stories, to get to direct them, even if people said yes to them, which in my experience, not many people say yes to stuff because it's a gamble, it's, it's a lot of stuff. So writing is, is a is a space to where you don't have to green light anything. You don't have to have it financed. You don't have to have perfect weather. You can just type it. And I think that's something that's really interesting to me right now. So yeah, I would say writer first, director second, and then everything else is pretty low. The acting stuff was kind of just out of necessity, but I I do love occasionally getting to die in a friend's film because I know I'll go I'll go 100%. And like, oh, it's like soldier number four who takes a shot to the head because I'm pretty, sorry, I'm pretty good at falling, pretty good at dying. Pretty I've seen a at, lot of uh, your falls. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, oh, Justin will probably do this. You think Justin? Hey, Justin, will you do this? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so, 
Yeah, I'm kind of like that cast member of those like jackass movies where they like it's the guy that probably does the worst stunts. They're like, oh, we'll get J. Rod to do it. He'll do it. The Johnny Knoxville, the guy who get in the ring with a bull, you know. I just my early memories of you is you would do a handstand anywhere and everywhere. You yes. would do flips anywhere and everywhere. Austin, I can't remember his name, but he was big dude. Oh, he yes. was like launching you into the volleyball court, and you were like yes. standing on the sand, and underneath the sand is complete cement. So like yes. it was a very thin layer of cement. Oh my gosh, I remember that. He and was I'm a, like he in was the a background. cheerleader, big guy. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, him and a football player. That yes, Austin and Joe Rowe. And oh, it was just kind of like the epitome of what I saw in college. You were just like flipping off of stuff or playing basketball or filming. Yeah. Like that was like your your thing. Those are my memories. That's the Holy of Trinity it. right there. Totally. <laughs> so that makes sense. I honestly thought you would have gone into being a stunt double, but it sounds like you kind of did anyways. A little bit. I did pursue that slightly. Like I made a film my last semester in college to include a section to have a stunt reel from. So it was this film where I played this assassin. I grew my beard out, shaved my head. I kind of, I was like a Hugh Jackman and Les Miserables, like really unkempt. That's how I graduated was with this huge huge beard and this bald head but but yeah so I, I kind of did go down that route not like professionally but I do offer those services to my friends when they make a film so I've been drowned and killed and beaten and shot it was like there was a place for it to go it's like like that one kid where the parents like we have to find something for him to do on the weekends he's just bouncing off the walls and for me it was like occasionally doing stunts on a small level like I'm not gonna fall off the building you know, 20 stories or, or like Tom Cruise it. But as far as like hand to hand or taking a bullet, that's like, yeah, I feel like that's a spiritual gift that I can exercise sometimes. Like, hey, it's a ministry, you know, like you need a guy to die for sure, dude. I love hitting the mud. So, yeah, I've been very no broken bones. No broken. Only when I was five. Yeah, I have I have chronic back pain, but that's probably a, a cumulative effect from my life. But yeah, I probably should be worse, but I do physically hurt every day. So, <laughs> Maybe, yeah, maybe I did pay for it. But yeah, there was a lane for some of those stunts to come out occasionally. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask how, like, where do you jump onto an idea? Like, how do you know you found an idea that you want to carry all the way through to even direct or just know like that script, I feel good about that script. Like, do you have a certain process or does it look different every time? I don't know if I figured it out, but it mostly feels like I work at a DMV and like it's always full with people and everybody at a DMV does not want to be there and they all are willing to kind of cut in front of each other or like you know try to flag down the the worker to be like I sort of had to be somewhere today so is there any way you know and it's like everybody has the same story bro relax and I feel like those people are all my ideas and so it's usually like the loudest or most obnoxious one or the one that's like the most patient where I'm like yeah you have been here the longest I probably okay I call your number and then you come up we talk and you make your case, and I go, ah, it looks like I don't have a choice. Let's get you, you know, a driver's license or whatever you need. So it kind of feels like they just have festered for a long time, like they've been in the crock pot for so long. When you kind of open it up and the steam comes out, and you're like, oh, it's pretty tender. It's probably good. I should probably eat this. That's kind of the thing. And for me, it's really healthy to exercise those demons. So when I'm able to write it and get it out of my system, not just as a writer, but as a human, like mentally, I'm kind of freed which is an aspect of writing that I discovered where most writers, aspiring writers, amateur writers, people are not paid for a living like me who one day want to do that and make a living doing that. The idea of writing is so romanticized that they don't hate the 
act of writing. So they want the end goal of having written. And I like to write. And I'm grateful I like to write. So it, it helps me be able to sit in that pain because a lot of times writing is just pain. Like you can't, you're really just exercising demons. But but yeah, so that aspect I really love. But I haven't figured out, it's usually just, I would say the best analogy would probably be the DMV where I'm like, next. Your you analogies. <laughs> I think yeah. if I just only had your analogies up here, people would still follow. The, yeah, your analogies yeah. are so good. I mean, it makes sense. Storyteller, you've got really good metaphors. It's a good question. I don't have, the, I don't have a, a great answer, but. No, honestly, I don't know if it's just because I'm a visual person, but like the DM, that makes so much sense. Mm. Like not ignoring the little idea, because I think part of why I struggle to like sit and write is because the first sentence, you know, it just is the hardest. And like, yeah. I feel like I have to have the whole idea before I put it on paper, instead of like you said, you're inviting the person at the DMV to come up and tell their story to you and letting it come out and it's mm -hmm. unforced. That was a very helpful writing process that you just shared. The pressure is off. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're hearing a story that you're mm -hmm. gonna tell. Are you working on anything right now that you're either excited about or you want to share? Well, unfortunately I've been stuck screenwriting, which I've never had like writer's block. Not that it's like, oh, super easy and the, it just flows. I almost kind of denied the idea that it was real. Because a lot of people talk about writing and creative stuff like, oh, you have to be inspired. And it's like, no. As an athlete, when you get up and go run or you get up and go train or you get up and go do whatever activity, like a lot of times, ask anybody. They don't want to really do it some days. Everybody has that. Even the most elite like people where you're like, I don't know how they do that. I wake up at 2 a.m. and I'm at the gym. And you're like, I don't know if you're lying or insane. Maybe both. But a lot of times for those people who are incredibly driven have those days where it's work. You know, they don't want to do it. So it's different than being inspired. For me, I was like, I want to be motivated. The people who get up and do it no matter what, even though they know on that backside of that workout, they're going to feel better mentally, physically. But you got to get through that mental pain of this like self-preservatory thing that's like, hey, don't, we're tired. And you're like, no, you're, we are, but you're wrong. So I, I finally got stuck. It happened on a monumental scale. It was a really bold and weird idea but I got stuck in the feature writing world so I actually stepped back and have been working on something totally different to kind of scratch the the creative itch is there any we talked about a ton of stuff can you narrow down your life message your life story in one sentence to like a piece of inspiration for someone who might be stuck which I know you feel mm. like stuck now or what would you like to leave the listeners with it would probably be uh, contradictory of me since I've been interviewed for a podcast and talking but I would just I think listening is really powerful and I think listening is very underrated like true true listening you know and I think you're one of those people that in college or now like you can tell someone is listening and we're going to always have our own judgments interfere our own opinions or you know especially if you're talking about politics or religion or something like that but I think what my brother did and what I try to do as a writer is, or in any setting, is, is mainly listen. You know, because usually the people who talk too much are the people that left. I mean, if they're, if they're rational, they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I said. I don't even know what I was talking about. So I think just inherently, like, the gift that my brother gave me was that he listened to me. And not even if I was talking, because he wasn't the most observant person in the world. He wasn't the most, like, street smart, aware of his surroundings person. But I felt listened to, and I've tried to take that in every aspect of my life. 
that whether it's a story that's trying to talk to you and for me I'm stuck as I'm just trying to listen and it might be the creative block of like life stuff rather than just you know the busyness or I'm you know I'm a parent now or whatever like that but I think just trying to listen to yourself and listen to people that are in front of you holds a lot of value for both yourself and those people if not now but down the road to know that there are seldom a safe space for them to verbalize things but us as parents you you don't want your kid to grow up and go I never felt listened to and you as a person know what it feels like to not feel listened to so I think it's something that we should uh, I think press harder into to give to people I feel like everyone wants to be seen and heard so much that they're shouting Mm. and understandably so and so you forget or people generally forget to also pause and be that for someone else exactly what you just said if everyone's shouting no one's listening but people notice when you when you hear them you know Mm. so I love that thought yeah this was great I really appreciate everything you shared and I just know people are going to get a ton out of this so Thanks again. Awesome. Well, thanks for asking. It's great to see you. You too. It's great to see you bright and vibrant and killing it. And I'm proud of you. Thanks. Proud of you too. You really took that dream and you're still like chasing it down. Not a lot of people do that. Usually give yeah. up. But I'm glad. Not yet. <laughs> There's still <laughs> not, time. <laughs> no, it's not five o'clock yet. Lock it yeah. happen. Yeah. <laughs>